When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, listeners. Tim Sylvie here. Before we introduce today's guest, I have to dive across the airwaves to a man who's literally jumped in to co-host this at the 11th hour after poor old F1 Caroline, who was going to join today's show as co-host, was struck down with food poisoning. He's literally come into this with no prep whatsoever. It's the brilliant spanners from the Missed Apex podcast. If you're not already a listener, go and check it out. One of the best F1 podcasts out there for sure. Spanners, what a man, the saviour. Thanks for stepping in. How are you? Well, I've done the same amount of prep for this, Tim, as I would for a normal Missed Apex show. But I'm I'm delighted because I really do want to chat some Formula E. I've really been getting back into it this season first four or five seasons i was a massive cheerleader for it and then i sort of I've drifted away i think because a, a little bit of the engineering direction but what really grabbed my attention this season was when they went out and did it on a on a a proper circuit and not f1 circuit and although they had to do a lot of power saving and it kind of resembled a cycling competition at, at points where they're all waiting and jostling around when it got going that really opened my eyes and said actually this series has got real potential now people are starting to wake up to the fact that formula e is is arriving yeah, yeah. no absolutely i've i've definitely become a fan this year i posted on my linkedin the other day that i after nine seasons i am nine seasons i'm now definitely a fan having gone to the berlin race and london um for a couple of days it it, it is it really has grown on me um now before we get any further um we do have some exciting news at motormouth hq we're now officially a podcast network by the time this episode goes live we'll have our new show out there the omg moto gp podcast hosted by keith Ewan, a brand new weekly show for all your moto gp chat so if you like your two-wheel racing search for the omg moto gp podcast wherever you listen and give us a follow on socials it might still be being indexed by apple and google by that point but it'll certainly be on spotify amazon etc already and others will follow soon after that so go check it out harry who uh, has hosted here since the very beginning of this show will also make an appearance and there'll definitely be some crossover between our two shows so stay tuned right spanners shall i introduce today's guest 
let's let's do it because we want to get away from MotoGP. That is that is just an insane sport with not enough wheels at all. So the quicker we move away from that, the happier I'll be. <laughs> not enough wheels. So true. So today we're joined by motoring journalist, author and media guru with an uncanny knack for finding a story often before it's even happened. He is the leading writer in the all electric Formula E championship, but has also worked across sports car racing, the World Endurance Championship and many more. In the Formula E paddock, there is nobody better place to talk electric racing or more respected. Sam Smith, a very warm welcome to the Motormouth podcast. How are you doing? Thank you, Tim. I'm great. Thank you. Yeah, really good. Um, just come off the back of a grueling season nine. So a bit of rehab coming up for uh, a couple of weeks in Cornwall, which uh, was like a sort of shining beacon at the end of a really, really grueling season. Very nice too. And you're you're sat there in front of a bookcase and a piece of car behind you. Where are you joining us from today? Presumably you're at home. Yeah, this has been my life pretty much. Uh, bits of cars and books on cars. Um, but I'm in Huntingdon. I have lived here ever since I worked for Lola back in the back in the day. It was a decade at Lola where I was uh, communications manager. Um, so yeah, married a local lass and settled here in the flatlands of Cambridgeshire. So uh, this is now home um, after after being a, f- a fully fledged northerner for many years before that. <laughs> I lived in Huntingdon a while back, but I don't think they'd finished it uh, when I was there. So hopefully it's coming along nicely. Yeah, it's three quarters done now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and and I'm going to Cornwall on holiday next uh, next week as well. So if I'm there, I'm not stalking you. It is a coincidence, I promise. <laughs> That's good. I've got plenty of stalkers in the Formula E paddock, but they're you know, mainly team principals, really. Sam, take us back in time. We like to always find out where our guests have come from. So where was home for you? What was life like for a young Sam Smith? Well, originally born in Moulton, just north of York, uh, but lived in York for the first probably 13 years of my life and then moved over to the other side of, of the north, as uh, a lot of southerners like to call it, uh, in Nutsford, uh, Cheshire. So my original home circuit was Croft uh, and then it was Alton Park. So th- those, I mean, mainly Alton Park was my my circuit of choice back then. I was, you know, between the ages of sort of 12 and and sort of 17, 18, I was there pretty much every weekend. So cut my racing teeth at Alton Park and all the good stuff that was going on there. And and did you did you have to leave the north for university or, or have they got one up there? No, I went back across to Yorkshire, went to Leeds. <laughs> so I was in I was in Leeds um for uh ninety sort of three, mid nineties time. Not that I can remember a great deal about it, of course, been a student, but yeah, I studied um I studied history and I studied business management at uh in Leeds. So um so uh, you're you're up north and so you know do you, do you end up going and doing a, a media degree because it, there's a big split in the paddock between the the kind of self-made journos if you like and the and the university media people yeah we're talking ancient history here spanners this is uh mid-90s so i know my, my sort of media training if you like was was literally reading autosport and motorsport news and doing scrapbooks and all that sort of fun stuff so it was um yeah it was it was an unconventional sort of media training but i kind of did it myself it was like a diy uh kind of stage in in those days and there weren't weren't really that many opportunities going for for media studies in those days too so uh get on with it yourself i guess no, a lot of the best journalists from that that time really did just have this attitude of, okay, I need to get hold of like a van or something, put my gear in and just hop the fence to the motorsport event and get yourself stuck in. 
That's what it was. Um, it was getting accredited, usually falsely to start with, but I'm sure everybody has kind of done that. You've got to start somewhere. But I was really fortunate because I did my work experience with a Formula 3000 team back in 1990. So I worked oh, wow. with them for a couple of summers, a team called Cobra Motorsport, which was founded by an ex-Lotus engineer called Colin Bennett. And uh, they had some great drivers in the day when I was there. Damon Hill drove for them briefly. Uh, Michael Bartels, Giovanna Amati, um, Richard Dean, who's gone on to found the, the United Autosports Empire, of course, um, and, and many others. Uh, Alan Menu was a driver when I was working in those summers. And I was, I was the archetypal gopher, you know, sweeping the, the, the floor of the yes. assembly area, um, washing wheels, um, doing the odd pit board if I was lucky. Uh, but it was a great grounding, understanding how teams work, how championships work. And that just gave me, you know, I, I was very much not mechanically minded. So I knew I had to do other things, which was to to report on it and to write about it. And, and that's how I, I went about it. Got some contacts, went away to study for a bit, but then fell back into the sort of the freelance uh, side of things and, and then work for championships and eventually uh, Lola when I was about 20, 25. Let's fast forward a little bit. Um, I remember going to the Autosport show um, not that long ago, maybe potentially three years, something like that. And I saw something called The Race being advertised there um i saw it on a on a, a banner and just thought well, what is this you know people were sort of sniffing around thinking what is this new the race thing everyone wondering what it was and it soon burst onto the scene and has gone really from strength to strength ever since you've been there from from the beginning right so what how did this all come about what was the formation of the race all about well the first the first thing i remember about it is probably the summer of 19 uh being on the wrong end of a five pinter with Andrew Vanderbilt, which happened pretty much, you know, every other week with him. And um, literally on the back of a, you know, the, an old cliche on the back of a fag packet or whatever it was, him sort of outlining what he wanted to do and how he was going to do it. Um, and I sort of thought, well, that's nice if it come, if it came off, but it's kind of too good to be true. You know, a platform which is there for the people like us who are first and f- foremost fans, uber fans, but want an insight and a sort of detailed understanding of what's going on in the paddock and what's going on in different racing series. Um, anyway, he got it together remarkably quickly and it launched in, I think it was January 2020. And, and I was hired to do the Formula E beat um, and, and a few other things, but mainly that. And it all came together and we were off and running and it was all fantastic. And then the, the pandemic hit within... I think four weeks of the thing going live, and I think if any, you know, if anyone, if you ask VDB or you ask me or you ask Glenn Freeman or Ed Straw, it was well, it was nice while it lasted four weeks, but it's it's not got a future now because we don't know where the world's going. But what saved us was this sort of detailed um, strategy of getting into the the esports landscape with with the Legends Trophy we did and all kinds of things, which was an amazing time. You know, literally calling up Jacques Villeneuve and um, and McNish and and all these guys, Dario, and getting to know some legends of the sport, albeit remotely. Um, and and that's ultimately probably what what saved the race. Um, and it's gone on to you know to be a, a staple of every motorsport fan's latest news and features and and whatever they want online. Yeah, it really has. And when uh, when they announced the the people that were going to be involved, you you got an immediate sense. Like this is really going to go somewhere. And by the way, my sympathies because uh, September 2019, I quit my engineering job 
and gave myself six months. So my March 2020 was my deadline to to make a career uh, around motorsport. And then the pandemic hit. Still remember watching the Australian Grand Prix as they were lining up for you know FP1, and they had the crowds outside. And then it slowly dawned that there wasn't going to be any F1. Like you guys must have just been sat around going, "Oh my goodness, no! Come on, no!" Well, to give you an idea about it, and I've written about uh, some of this. I, I was in York actually the week before lockdown was declared officially by the government, and and V2B called me in a state of great agitation, saying, "Look, we got this idea. We're going to do this uh, esports uh, event just to to get us through for a couple of months because we didn't know what was going on. Nobody did." Um, and he said, "Get into your black book because I've got quite a nice little black book full of names and people I've come across in the last twenty twenty five years." And we got together this this grid, this amazing grid of drivers. And I spent my little weekend break calling Neil Jarney and Alex Lynn and Dario and all these people, saying, "Come on, let's get involved in this. You'll love it." And and there was varying degrees of success. Um, I ultimately managed to get Jacques Villeneuve, which was kind of a a bit of a dream. And I'll never forget the conversation, speaking, calling V2B and saying, look, are you sat down because I've got the son of God? And he sort of said, what? And I said, yeah, Jacques Villeneuve, the son of God. That's who he is. We've got him for the uh, for the esports. So that was nice. Great memories from that. But of course, throughout the whole thing, we all wanted to go racing for real. That's why we were, that's what we've been employed for. So thankfully, it wasn't too long before we were able to get back to the track. Hey, look, we're big sim racers uh, over at our lot. And like you guys played a massive part in giving a lot of credibility to sim racing and also highlighting how many real world drivers really do get stuck in on their sims and how much how much they say, you know, it's not a real it's not a game to them. It's training, it's muscle memory. It's a real useful part of their racing. And uh, and people just didn't realize that till the pandemic. Yeah, that's true. I actually spoke to Villeneuve at Spa Weck race a few months ago and, and reminisced about that time. And I don't know if many people realize that he took part in those events on a Xbox uh, controller. That's how he was doing it. So he had, he had one end of the grid with these new, these new um, you know, bucket seats and steering wheels and all the kit that they spent thousands of pounds on. And JV was there on this little game controller uh, on a pile of books that he was using with a tiny little screen. I mean, it was it was just surreal, <laughs> totally surreal. And then when Vettel and Alonso and Mo and I mean, it was just yeah, it was like a dream. You just couldn't believe it was actually for real. This thing was happening, but great fun, terrific fun. A very quick interruption to this conversation with Sam Smith. Uh, before we come on to his Formula E exploits, I want to tell you very quickly about our show sponsor, Paul Oz. Head to pauloz.com and check out all of his amazing artwork and sculptures and incredible things that he's done in the F1 arena. Um, We're also running a really special promotion with Paul at the moment. And today is the last day that you can enter. Um, It's an opportunity to win one of his original paintings. It is a side-on painting of Ayrton Senna wearing his helmet on canvas beautiful beautiful painting go to our twitter have a look you can enter it takes maybe 30 seconds or less to enter the competition once you're in we're going to make an announcement in the next week or so about who's won that Um, last opportunity to do it and a massive thanks to paul for joining us on this season of the podcast without people like him and show sponsors and partners we simply couldn't do what we do so thank you paul right back to sam smith and formula e now, Sam, you've been in Formula E since the beginning, around 2014. Do you remember where you first heard about the series and your initial impressions before its launch? Well, yeah, my, my history predates Formula E to, to a great extent, actually, because when I was at Lola 
in 2011, 2012 time, um, Lola actually pitched for the promoter's uh, role um, via the FIA tender. So there was an official um, uh, presentation that went into the FIA, but as we know, it was it was all sort of preordained with Alejandro Agag. Um, and then Lola folded in uh, May of 2012, but we'd also been involved with the Drayson LMP project, which was an all-electric LMP one car. Uh, which was going to do the the official uh, all electric land speed record up in up in Yorkshire that summer I think or maybe the, the year after in 2013. Anyway, forward wind to 2014. I was involved with uh, a little bit of freelance work with the Lotus F1 team and doing various things in sports cars and, and other areas of racing, and got to know a few people at Formula E. Um, and then at the end of 14, I took a busman's holiday really to Punta del Este in Uruguay a sort of a you know a, a present to myself for the end of the season to go and see what this formula was all about it was the third ever race and and what I found was a it was a pretty rudimentary championship it was like a sort of glorified national uh, national series if you will I mean it was yes there was professional drivers some great teams some great people running it but you know they, these have been run out of tents and by a beach in Punta del Este in in sort of rural Uruguay. It was a bit bizarre, but you know what? I loved it. I thought the the competition was incredible. I thought the possibilities for the future were was vast for what the messaging was for the championship, and I could see the potential. Um, I was a skeptic initially. I just couldn't see how something of that scale could work and how they could sustain it financially, particularly. And actually, they didn't because after Punta del Este. Uh, it essentially went bust, and that's when Liberty did the deal to to buy it off, uh, to buy the shares mostly off Alejandro Agag. So it was a real crux. It could have gone under within two or three races, but it didn't. Uh, it was invested in, and it is what it is today, which is a you know a fantastic world championship, one of only six in the world. It it is it is amazing. It's it it's come on an awful long way technologically in those in those it's nine seasons. Take us back to season one because I think we quickly forget rules and regulations and what the cars were like, and we forget that there were those pictures of the drivers coming in, leaping out of the cars, and jumping in another one. It's come on an awful long way, isn't it? Yeah, it has massively. I mean, you know, they were fairly agricultural cars. I mean, there was nothing that sophisticated about them. Uh, everything was spec. It, you know, it wasn't really that exciting. It was, um, yeah, car swaps, uh, two cars per driver, and they would, you know, they would get to the end of an energy uh, energy percentage and then hop in and and take their new car. I mean, it was a bit incongruous to say the least, but actually. It caught on and it was an added sporting angle to the whole package, but it was a bit bizarre. You know, if you didn't know racing and you were tuning into that, you go, what, what the hell's going on? They're changing car. I mean, it's so strange. I mean, interestingly, when I, I eventually wrote a book about Formula E a couple of years ago, I spoke to Alberto Longo, who's the um, sort of deputy CEO and, and was a co-founder with uh, Alejandro Agag, and he said that they were seriously considering um, doing Le Mans-style starts to the race where the drivers would be across the track and would run and jump into their car and, you know, somebody presumably do their belts and they would go. I mean, extraordinary. I thought he was, frankly, I thought he was taking the piss when he told me, <laughs> but he wasn't. And they even had, they even had sponsorship 
proposals to Nike and Adidas and these, to try and do that, to get the footwear and all, do all that sort of yeah. stuff. I mean, they were, you know, when people say they're thinking out the box and they trot out all these lines about, oh, you know, we like to think differently and blue sky thinking. You know, these guys were actually doing it and they were they were going through with most of it. I mean, that's an extreme example, but most of it they pulled off, which I think I don't think there is a genuine sporting startup in the 21st century that has managed to pull that off. I can't think of one from scratch to a world championship with multi-manufacturers in it within a decade. I mean, it's unprecedented, really. So, you know, Formula E isn't perfect. There's a lot that still needs to be sorted out. But actually getting to the position it is now is a, is a feat of, um, you know, huge belief and, and faith and skill and, and lots of other good stuff. So it, it being a spec series, you, you're talking about them being kind of industrial, you know, tractors. The, 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 the series can basically enact its own vision on what it wants the cars to be. And the cars are getting a bit more towards that now because I was having arguments with people in season one and two that, you know, how open wheeler was it really? And when you had you had things like you had the rear spoilers that were just about for show. I remember Robin Frines went into the back of Boemi, I think, in one race. The wing nearly came off completely and there was no difference in lap time. And then you sort of go, oh yeah, that's because the battery is basically holding the car to the ground. But I think at first it wanted to be the electric Formula One, whereas now it's like, no, we we kind of know what we want to be going forward. Yeah, they made some good decisions. I mean, you know, you can't have a big aero championship uh, at that level with, with spec stuff because it's just going to go astronomical on the, on the budgets and the costs. So they were cute on that point to keep it spec for the first season was sensible until it evolved until it got you know could stand on its own two feet they did have a roadmap and they sort of went with the roadmap in the first four or five years they, you know they went up to a certain kilowatt of power uh, they reduced the weight in in um in the second generation um that you know they went to one car in the second generation which was the absolute key um and i think you know road relevancy was important to attract the manufacturers so when the inverters and the motors and and their and, and so forth that was a key really to attract the manufacturers and and as we know the governments of the world are you know are going to stop selling some, some most ice engine cars in the next 10 years or so and it was always about for me the the genius of someone like Agag and, and Alberto Longo was actually forecasting where where the world was going to go so i think in that first season there was about 300,000 ev cars on the road you know i'm not sure what the current figure is but it's a lot lot higher than that and they have forecast that from day one and they know that with the climate crisis which we're seeing summer in and summer out with some of the devastating things going on around the planet it's only going to get worse and what that means is is that through sport in particular motorsport there's going to have to be evidence of genuine sustainability and you know whatever you say about Formula E and again it's not perfect but it has been net zero net carbon zero since day one and it does a lot of great stuff for promoting sustainability so all that messaging which it does so well is packaged up and provided it's with great entertainment which they do from a sporting point of view with the attack mode and various other things then you know i i don't see what's bad about that i don't see why and, and you, you get them all the time you get people criticizing Formula E and electric motorsport and saying oh well there's no noise and it's all a bit boring and dull well i mean 
you know, come to a race and see what you think. If you came to Excel last week, as as Tim did for a day, you'll see the show and the, the, the atmosphere, the family atmosphere and the real engagement that goes on at these events. And that's before the racing, which is often completely bonkers. So, you know, I don't see what's bad about that, really. Um, and I think the people who do criticise are either just stuck in the past or they are just... Um, you know, they they did just not open to anything new, which happens remarkably often in this sport. Sadly, I think you've just got to go and see it, haven't you? I mean, it it was very different for me. Well, the thing I've always struggled with with Formula E was watching it on TV. I always did struggle a little bit with the broadcast of it. I don't know why I just couldn't get on board. But but then when I went to watch it and I experienced the atmosphere, and and in Berlin they could have filled those stands again. Like there was they were packed. The racing was insane, completely bonkers. So I think you've got to go and see it. But one thing I want to pick up on that you mentioned was um a little bit a minute ago you mentioned about the kilowatts um and 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 the increase and the increase in speed. Is this going to become a problem for Formula E because as they get quicker and quicker and quicker on these city-based street circuits, is it going to become an issue where they're actually just too quick and they need to start looking elsewhere at wider more permanent facilities to accommodate that extra speed? I think there will be a crossover point, yeah. Probably, but we'll have to see in Gen 4, possibly Gen 5, when the cars are significantly quicker. I mean, they run at 350 kilowatts um, at the moment. You know, I think by Gen 4, it's going to be somewhere near 600 kilowatts, which is phenomenally quick. I mean, you know, these cars at the moment, are, you know, they're, they're quite a bit off Formula 1. I would say that they're around, you know, maybe a bit quicker than Formula 3, between Formula 3 and Formula 2, somewhere like that. I think in Gen 4 they're going to be vastly quicker, but I think there will be areas where they can showcase their, you know, how rapid they are, how ex- how exciting and spectacular they are. The obvious one being the start, because with the talk of the cars, you know, you are talking acceleration, you know, above and beyond anything that's ever been seen on a racetrack before. You know, as I mentioned, they're not aerodynamic cars, so they will never go around corners as quickly as as Formula One cars. That's just a fact. Or F2 cars, but you know, do we want them to? I don't know. I mean, I think Formula E can give a a more uh, intense and potent experience on acceleration and on racing, close racing, without the aerodynamic interference that you see that we've seen for de- decades in Formula One. I mean, how many races do we see during a season where you know the 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 wash off the cars and the the destabilization of the of the toe effect through corners ruins races? Yes, we've got DRS. That's another debate for another day. But you know, I think I think Formula E you rarely get a dud in formery i mean ironically the last race in london last weekend was and it was wet but that has certain circumstances with visibility mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. 
If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. ...and going offline and so forth. I reckon, I reckon over a 16-race season in Formula E, you get two races which aren't fantastic and interesting and spectacular and incident-packed and controversial. You know, that, having, a, having a clean race where nothing much happens is a rarity in Formula E. And it's great TV. And as we know, you know, TV, in whatever uh, denomination it is, is still key and crucial for sports businesses, live sports businesses. The world over. So, yeah, I mean, just to address your point, Tim, I think it, it will it will be a concern. I mean, we saw that big shunt in Rome, didn't we? Which I don't think was down to the, the, the sort of quicker nature in a straight line of Gen 3. I think it was a, a, a classic case of a bump and maybe some cars running slightly too low on the ride height and just one of those things, really. But I think certainly some of the tracks will have to be modified or extended. But speaking to the London E-Pre guys at Excel last week, you know, they are prepared to extend that track in 2025 when there's some more, more, more building work done uh, at one side of the track. So, yeah, there is scope. You know, these tracks are mostly built. I mean, probably 60% of these tracks are built per season, uh, bespoke. So, you know, it's in their control. You know, they can make it a bit quicker and they can make it a little bit more extended to, to accommodate the quicker cars, I think. Just talking about cornering and not having the aero, someone was saying to me that, Perhaps there could be a point where the wheels are driven independently and you could almost just get things to switch 90 degrees at the click of a finger. But with, with Formula E being so innovative and quite brave with its engineering, like nothing's kind of off the table. Uh, but I was just saying that to Tim's point about the noise is in, in F1, you watch motorsport or even, uh, you know, a hybrids, all you really hear is the engine sound and it, it just it washes everything out. I watched uh, Formula E at Battersea, I think in season two, and... The, the thing that struck me, it's still loud, but you can hear the suspension. You can hear the tyres. You can hear them on the edge of grip around corners. Whereas you watch F1, all you can really hear is the engine and a tyre lock. Uh, but the other, the other noises, it, it was actually a joy to sit and listen to. Uh, I think just with motorsport, it's a cliche that it's got to be all-consuming, screaming V10s. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, my ears are completely destroyed from years of V12s and V10s and V8. So I, I'm, you know, I'm getting old enough now to to let the soothing nature of Formula E take take over. I'm quite happy with it. I mean, you know, I go to Le Mans, I do WEC as well, and the noise is ferocious with those, you know, Chevys and, um, you know, the, the the prototype engines and the GT engines are, are shrill and, and noisy, and I love it. You know, don't get me wrong, I'm not a I'm not an evangelist. I I, I love the history and I love the V12s <laughs> and the Lola T70s and the 919 Porsches. You know, I love the history of the sport. But the history of the sport is the history of the sport. You know, what interests me is today and tomorrow because I think you've got to be a bit progressive in, in your passion, right? And I, like I say, I've got, I've got books behind me here of, of yesteryear and I love reading them and, and soaking all that up. What interests me, though, is what the new generations are making of the sport. And whenever I speak to uh, youngsters, uh, some in the media centre and some others uh, who are just fans or enthusiasts, is that they love the sound. You know, they love the whirring of the motors. They love the scrub of the tyres. Mm. You know, it to them, it's just, a, it's just different. I mean, there's room for everything in racing, right? I mean, I, I think from a performance point of view, these cars will only get better. And I think when they do that people will generally not talk about the noise. I mean, 
honestly, from that first race I went to, the worst thing about it was sat in the grandstand in free practice one. And whoever made this decision, you know, I'm pretty sure wasn't working for Formula E um, for much longer. They played this obnoxious dance music as the cars were were going around in free practice, which was an attempt to mask the lack of noise. And I think that was really interesting because it only lasted a couple of races, and people realised it was ridiculous, and then just let the just let the cars do what they they, they were there to do. Sam, they did exactly the same thing in the Autosport Arena. They were showcasing this electric GT car, and it looked really impressive. But I think they felt like people couldn't handle the lack of noise, and they just started pounding out dance music. And it's like, no, actually, I'd like to hear the the power unit. I'd like to hear how the tyres are performing. But I think I think that fear maybe is starting to disappear. Like we can handle it now. I still I I still vote for uh, giving it a Star Wars. Uh, noise give, give it the x-wing or something like that and the, you know the <laughs> what are the baddies in star wars the one that darth vader used be all over oh, the, the tie fighters are they tie fighters tie fighters that's it you could open it up to to you know the fans to decide the next noise of the cars because presumably you could program something in but no i'm i'm with you i don't mind i don't mind the sound of it i like the hearing the screeching of the tires it offers something something different i've got to ask you though sam when the when the gen 3 car came out um i was in um i was actually lucky enough to be in monaco when that was all happening and the chatter around it was obviously like what the hell is that it looks like a paper airplane I've got used to it now, and actually, I really like it. I think it looks good on track. What were your first impressions when you saw that car being released? I was quite neutral, actually, about it. I'll tell you why. Aesthetically, it wasn't as interesting and as pretty as the Gen 2 car. Pretty is not the word, but you know what I mean. Spectacular, uh, memorable. Uh, the Gen 3 car, yeah, it, it it didn't look fantastic. I, I think... The, the all-encompassing bodywork of the Gen 2 where they had the wheels covered, so it was kind of a hybrid of a prototype and a single-seater, I thought was really interesting and kind of captured people's imaginations. You mentioned Star Wars and science fiction stuff. That was a science fiction-y aesthetic to that car. The Gen 3 was, to me, from a side perspective and a rear perspective, looked like some long forgotten school car from the late 90s that's probably a bit rough isn't it on it but you know it's a bit bit harsh but that's what it looked like to me it didn't look like anything particularly special the front and the 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 overplanned view of it was was actually okay i mean it was it, you know it stuck in your mind and look you know i'm i'm not one who puts that much emphasis on on looks as long as the thing is quick as long as it brings great racing and you know as long as it can take a bit of punishment which is a separate story i'll come to in a minute then actually you've got a great race car that you can you can have a really interesting sporting format with i i think just going back to the robustness the gen 2 was very robust right so you could have multiple contacts a lot of it tactical contacts so it was a kind of you know hybrid of touring car and and single seater racing and and there were there wasn't that much actual degradation on the bodywork whereas these cars a little bit more conventional in terms of the end plates and the front design of the the nose and as we've seen this year that's become an issue because the noses break and they go underneath the car we've seen some big shunts with them sort of skateboarding off into the yeah, barriers yeah. notably nico muller at portland had a horrible accident so there's a safety thing there but i think that'll be looked at for the next evolution which will come for 2025 but overall the looks i don't mind them you kind of get used to them but i think they it could have been a bit better so uh, sam 
I think last one on Formula E, but I'm a kind of bandwagon kind of guy. I, I respect the rules of the playground. Never say anything unless you're sure the cool kids agree. Is Formula E about to take off, you know, in viewership-wise, fan-wise? I, I feel like Formula E is is arriving. It's just starting to really bubble. Well, it, it should have done already. It's got all the constituent parts of a fantastic championship. It's got exciting racing. It's got an unbelievable grid. I think pound for pound, it's probably got the most talented grid on earth. And I include Formula One in that because don't forget in Formula One, you've got what well, you got at least three, possibly four pay drivers, really, in the championship. Um, there's none of that. Everybody in Formula E gets paid and gets paid well, which is why, why partly why it's popular with drivers. But that's just the, the fact of the matter. Um, I think, you know, when it, when when you look at how it can break through, which is the big question how can it break through into what they call a tier one sport i don't think there's any magic ingredient to that i think they've got a that the the owners have to they have to put some money into the media side of things so free to air tv i mean it's you know it's such an obvious one has got to be improved but i just think the the understanding of what it is and for people to you know not look at the gimmicky stuff about it you know the the, the attack zone and you know that like we just talked about the look of the car this is pure motorsport right i've been around this business for 25 years this is guys and manufacturers and teams top teams andretti you know you've got a, the penske name in there multiple manufacturers spending millions of pounds with great messaging but also at each other's throats they want to win these titles and they will do anything to to achieve that and that's just fantastic from a sporting drama point of view and, and you know you whether you like formula e or not whether you bother watching it or not if you look at pretty much i would think what we got now nine championships i think six of those championships have had truly remarkable endings like extraordinary endings and we saw another one in london last month with jake dennis dodging all these you know all these um um aggressors around him and then there's the intro Porsche thing projectiles i mean you know if something something as tense as something as tense as that gets michael andretti's blood up to the point where he slams down his headphones marches into the next pit which by the way he's affiliated to because that's his manufacturer team that's supplying his powertrain and starts ranting at a couple of the special advisory board member vips from porsche then you know it's proper drama because i mean michael andretti's been around and seen it pretty much all so you know he's there at the coalface getting stuck in and getting his blood up and yeah, it's it's just great drama. I'm amazed that it hasn't broken through to to a, a, a bigger extent than it has. I'd hate to see it be its own little secret, its own little niche, because uh, mm. kind of that's what it is in a way at the moment. But I think with a bit of nurturing, looking after investment, which is key, then it can be it can be superb by Gen Four, which is only you know only three years away. What what if it turned up at Donington at Brands Hatch? I f I feel like that would be the thing that would make people stand up and go oh. Yeah, I'm not sure actually. I mean, I think the true the true unique selling point of Formula E is the city racing. It's taking it to the cities. You know, the people who go and see Formula E, and I'll give you a great example. At Portland, uh, VDB and I were sat in the grandstands um, having a cold one during free practice. I shouldn't say this, but he is the boss, so, you know, no one else will know. Um, we were just taking in a free practice session, and we looked around us, and the people watching that race were, weren't your traditional IndyCar or NASCAR fans seeing what it was about this was a new 
a new demographic, a new consumer. It was there was a lot of students, there was a lot of mates in in groups. Um, they were wearing merchandise, former e merchandise. There was a lot of people there. You know, I, it's not Formula One, it's not two hundred thousand people, but it's you know there's a good fifteen, sixteen thousand there, which for Portland, not the most glamorous of of uh, venues for a Formula E race. I thought was really interesting to see where this new group of Formula E consumers was was coming or motorsport consumers were coming they were coming to Formula E and if it's happening nicely there imagine what it's going to be like in Rome and in London and eventually hopefully Los Angeles Tokyo next year um, you know Mexico City it fills out the Foro Sol uh, terracing there there's a there's a good 30,000 people there every year so it is getting a following but I think it's a different following to Formula One. I don't see a massive crossover with Formula One and Formula E, nor should there be. I think there's room for both. And I think um, I think ultimately it's a different proposition. Look, I'm not saying Formula E is going to be like Formula One or as big as Formula One. It's not. Let's face facts. That's not going to happen in the next 10, 10 years at all. But eventually there's going to have to be some kind of crossover in the future because it looks like um, EV technology and EVs generally on the road is going to be the pre predominant propulsion for what we all drive in in the next uh, 15 20 years yeah no I, I agree with the audience stuff I mean I, I took my um, my uh, godson to who's 10 to the race in Berlin um, and he was welcomed with open arms but he knew all the drivers he knew all the teams he went into all the garages and all the drivers had time for him you know there was none of these PR people shoving you out the way pushing you out the garage we were we were welcomed um, very different vibe and, and not what I'm used to having been in Formula One for so long it was it's a very different atmosphere and a different audience as you say um, Sam, we've kept you for, for long enough. We're going to come on to our final three questions, which um, are brought to us by our show sponsor, Mr. Paul Oz, the incredible Formula One artist, motorsport artist and sculptor. He's got some incredible artworks um, down in the MTC with James Hunt. He's done, uh, I think, a Bruce McLaren and um, a, a couple of Ayrton Senna's and some beautiful pictures. We're running a promotion with him at the moment. If you go to our socials, you can find it. You can win a Paul Oz original Senna painting. So go and check that out. It takes about a minute to enter. Um, you've got maybe uh, three or four days before that competition ends when we announce the winner. So go check that out. Um, our final three, Spanners, I've not briefed you on this at all. So we're just going to run with yeah. it. I've got three questions. We ask these three questions to all of our guests, Sam, and they throw up a myriad of answers. I'll kick it off this week, Spanners. Um, Sam, what's got you excited at the moment? Could be anything. Doesn't necessarily need to be motorsport related. What's got you excited? <laughs> Well, at the moment, it's getting a break from from motor racing and going to Cornwall for a for a week or so. So I'm I'm really <laughs> looking forward to that. If you, if you're talking a more sort of professional thing, I I think it's the prospect of of Nick Cassidy um, going to Jaguar next year to be Mitch Evans' teammate. Two Kiwis, two really talented Kiwis in the same team. Great story that because they've known each other literally since they were five, six years old and they've come through the ranks together and now they're teammates. And it's going to be interesting. I mean, they're not best mates, but they are friendly. I'm just wondering how long that's going to going to last when they're in the same team next year. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I was lucky enough to to watch Cassidy race a few years ago when he was out in Japan. Um, he was racing alongside a guy I was managing called Struan Moore, who's, who's now a driver coach. But Struan and, and Nick were racing together in uh, Japanese Formula 3. And even then, you could see Nick's talent shining through. He's an absolutely spectacular driver. Um, right, Spanners, over to you for question two, if you happen to have it in front of you somewhere. 
I do, I do. Right, okay. Okay, here's here's where we where we see uh, that we look into your soul and, and see where you measure your own self-worth. Uh, how much of your success, and there is significant success, do you put down to, to luck and being in the right place at the right time? And how much of it do you put down to your hard work, grafting, and like an inherent greatness within your spirit? <laughs> well, um, mm, that's an interesting one, isn't it? I think if you put a percentage on it, I think the luck is about 20%. I mean, you can't deny you get luck, lucky breaks in, in your career or your life. And and I did. You know, I, I met some right people at the right times, uh, got in some positions, um, made the most of it. But, you know, as I say to anybody who comes to ask for advice in the media centers or at the tracks around the world, and they often do, and I, I invite people to please do that. You know, the one thing I would say is you've got to work hard, but you've actually got to come up with things that other people don't. So you've got to have your own style and you've got to have your own um, USP in the sense of what you uh, hold dear to yourself and, and what you actually want to to provide people who um, who take in your your work. Um, you know, I, I write um, and I what I'd like to think is that people read what i write and are entertained so you know that could be through breaking news or it could be through going into something um about a driver's makeup psychological makeup profile or the latest updates on a on an inverter or something really boring like that <laughs> so you know i'd say i would say in terms of how you do your job um it's going the extra mile and all those all those cliches but it's true and you've got to just keep on it and, and look for you know unique avenues to to make sure that you you a get the story first or you get the detail on the story and the and the perspective on something that might be happening pretty quickly and it's all fast-paced right so you know there's often no time to dwell on things so you've got to try and be one step ahead of the opposition which is what competition is right i mean that's why we love doing the job we do i think See, greatness, Tim. I told you it would be greatness. Tim said beforehand it will just be down to complete luck. But I told you you'd be wrong. <laughs> We're not talking about you here, Spanners. Hey. Um, now, uh, let's go even deeper into your soul, Sam. Let's delve even deeper. What is it that you're scared of? Is there anything that completely freaks you out? <laughs> well, two things. Um, one is... Um... I, I'm not borderline, I am arachnophobic. So anything, any of those eight-legged freaks or those, those those animals, those insects, what the hell they are from a different planet that have just obviously squirreled away <laughs> on this planet to terrify me and others. Um, you know, I I carry around um, flamethrowers wherever I go in the world that's following that's for my... Just, to, just yeah. in case there's one around the corner. Um, <laughs> what else? I don't know. What um, you're right. That octopuses are like spiders. They're not right, are they? They're just not right. They're aliens. Anything, anything that's got more than uh, a couple of legs is a bit freaky. Um, I, I think in racing, the, I mean, there, was, there there have been a few drivers that have scared me. One one notable one was um, Ben Collins. Do you remember Ben Collins? Who was I think he did a stint as the Stig on Top yes, Gear. Yes. Yeah. He took me around the Nordschleife in a rental car in two thousand and one and scared the living hell, the living green hell out of me. Um, and I've not forgotten that. I also nearly got killed at Kyle Army in 2000 at a sports car race. I was in the pits doing some um, reporting for Eurosport, and John Nielsen in a Panos um, LMP car did a pit stop, and they got the wheel gun stuck on the rear wheel, 
and somebody let him go out the pits. And as he went, the the, the wheel gun snapped back off the oh, no. the wheel nut, flailed around. This is a wheel gun, you know, so big, solid steel or whatever it was. And it went over my head by about a foot and took a massive chunk of brick out of the wall, the pit wall behind me. So that, that scared me. And that's why you don't find me in pit lanes just mincing around, which I don't do anymore. But uh, I used to um, I used to do some TV stuff, but uh, kind of called it a day after that. I'm glad you lived, though. That's hairy. It's very hairy. Now stay, stay safe and warm in the media centre. It's a much more pleasant place to be. You know, benefit from those free baguettes. Um, Sam, absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Fascinating to hear from you. Um, you really are the man about town in the Formula E paddock. Everybody knows Sam. Um, everybody is aware of his work. It's terrific writing. Um, great to have you involved with the race, which is now something I'm involved with as well. So we'll be seeing a lot more each other of each other over the coming weeks and months. Um, and long may your success continue. But for now, Sam Smith, thank you for joining us on the Motormouth podcast. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Banners. Pleasure. I really hope you enjoyed this week's show with Sam Smith. Fascinating stuff. Um, Don't forget, we have just one day left on our promotion with our show sponsor, Paul Oz. Um, Head to our socials, um, search Motormouth. Um, You'll find the promotion. There's one day left. You can win an Ayrton Senna original painting on canvas. Go check it out. Head to pauloz.com to find out more about Paul and his amazing artwork. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too, so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker don't forget to like subscribe and review and until next time you've been listening to the motormouth podcast Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 